This is Five on Three. Center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to Five on Three, WFUV's NHL podcast, the first episode of the calendar year 2022. Thomas Quigley and Tyler Mooney are here. I'm Chris Hennessy. And gentlemen, uh, happy new year. Uh, it's good to see you guys again. Uh, Tyler, how was, uh, how was the holiday up in Philly? It was great. I hope it was great for all of you guys. And nice to be able to take a break, just relax. Don't have to worry about school or anything like that. And nice to see some family. So I, I hope you guys all had good holidays and a happy new year as well. Yeah, it's been quiet up here, but uh, Connecticut, but it's been nice, relaxing, no more school, at least for the next two weeks. So that's been nice. So honestly, it, it, happens. <laughs> it has been nice, but there has been a shockingly low amount of hockey to watch. That's true. Fortunately, yes. uh, the last time the podcast aired, I was not on it. Uh, and you guys talked about the NHL pause that had just come into effect to extend the holiday break. Uh, it was extended one more day after that, and the league started up again on December 28th. Since then, the Rangers have played three games. They've won all three of them, um, two against the Lightning, and last night against the Oilers. Uh, Tyler, you were there, uh, I assume, in a Ranger jersey. Your thoughts on just how the Rangers have played overall, especially without Panarin in these last two? Yes, I was there as as a fan, which was nice. This is my first time going to a Rangers game as a fan since before COVID happened. So it was nice to be back in the garden and they've looked, they've looked really good since this break. I mentioned on the podcast before the break that they had this really tough stretch coming up where they were playing, I think seven or eight straight games against playoff teams. And they've started off three and one, including, you know, two great wins over the lightning and then problem their most complete game in a very long time last night against the Oilers, the Oilers granted, they have not been playing that well lately, really in the last month, but the Rangers forecheck especially was outstanding last night. They really gave the Oilers like no time at all in their own offense or in their own defensive zone. Lafreniere has looked outstanding in Panarin's absence, moving up as the second line left winger and Mika's getting hot too. He got his eighth career hat trick uh, versus the lightning on Sunday, I believe. So if you're a Rangers fan coming out of the break, these last three games is really you, – you really can't ask for much more. And Alexander Georgiev looked outstanding last night too, which is really good to see. Yeah, honestly, the biggest takeaway from last night was Georgiev. The fact that he's just completely turned his season around uh, after starting very poorly. And that was one of the things we were talking about earlier this year about, you know, obviously Shosturkin has been phenomenal this year. He's kind of established himself – as an elite goaltender over the last two years, but you kind of need that, that strong backup at, at least in the regular season. If you want to at least just, you know, accumulate points and get a good seed heading into the playoffs. And now the Rangers kind of have that, especially after last night over the last two games, they've only given up one goal in, in six periods. So the goaltending looks really stellar for the Rangers and they're playing really well in front of them. You mentioned the four check last night, that play by Ryan Strom kind of just, Sealed the deal in that game. I mean, honestly, from a momentum perspective, that just felt like, oh, Rangers are going to win tonight. They scored first again. Uh, I mean, it was just a, a really bad defensive breakdown by the Oilers. Probably a bad decision uh, by Cam Talbot to go to get out of the net when you know there's so many bodies around him. But at the same time, uh, that just was like a huge momentum swinger in that game, and the Rangers are just looking so hot right now. 
compared to where they were, you know, last season, season before, where the rebuilding process was kind of, you know, moving very slowly. It's insane to think that they're very much in play for a president's trophy this year. They are. And, and, you know, one player we always knew was going to be a key for this team was Adam Fox. He's got four assists in the last two games. He's now tied for second in the entire league uh, forwards included in assists. He's tied with Huberto and only behind uh, some guy, Connor McDavid. I don't know. He's unfamiliar, but he's the first in the league in assists. Um, no, but all kidding aside, he is three up on Hedman for the lead and defensive players with assists. He's been outstanding again this year. Last year was not a fluke. Not that we thought it was going to be, but uh, certainly it's proven now that it was not. And Truba's been better this year and you see the continued success offensively from Fox. I think in the rebuilding years, the the years they traded Hayes and Zuccarello and Callahan and McDonough and all of them, the defense is what kept them back. You know, they always had the offense when, especially after they got Panarin, but now when you have Truba having somewhat of a career year defensively and you have a guy in Adam Fox, who, who's the one of the best power play quarterbacks in the league at 23 years old, Tyler, I think the, the ceiling is so high for this team right now because of the play from the, from the back end and those two guys, especially, I don't know if there's going to be a Norris, another, another Norris coming for either one of them. Um, I think that there's been a lot of good defensemen this year, but I would not put, if both of them ended in the top 10, I would not be surprised. Yeah, absolutely. Truba, especially, you know, coming to the Rangers with that big contract and definitely not living up to it in the first few years, but this has by far been his best year with the Rangers and, but you know, you know what you're going to get from Adam Fox at this point. And it's, it's been the other guys as well, you know, Keandre Miller, you know, there's been some up and downs with him, definitely some growing pains, but especially on the offensive side of the puck, he, he used to be a forward and you can definitely see that when he's coming up the ice, he has, he's maybe one of the Rangers best defensemen in transition. Ryan Lindgren, he's obviously been solid with Adam Fox. And then Zach Jones last night looked really good. I believe it was only his second game of the season, but he's another guy who, maybe not this year, but, you know, next year and into the future, he's a guy who you're looking for to fill out your bottom, your bottom, your top six defense. And he looked really good with the puck last night. He even got some, some power play time. He looked great. So for the Rangers, yeah, the defense definitely was holding them back, especially in the last few years of the Henrik Lundqvist era, but to see them have so much more of a well-rounded defensive core and the goaltending, Shesterkin has been incredible. And now you have Georgiev coming, coming on, the ceiling really is, you know, this team could, as you said, Thomas, this team, I mean, they're first place in the league right now. They coming into the season. I don't think anyone predicted this from the Rangers playoffs were maybe not an expectation, but I think a lot of people realistically thought, okay, if this team plays to the level they can, they should make the playoffs. But I don't think anyone saw this coming. And especially now, if they start beating these good teams, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the deadline. You didn't think that this was going to be the year where the Rangers windows started, but as of now, I mean, if this team can, you know, get a top seed in the East and get home ice, anything can happen. I So you just mentioned beating good teams. And I, that's one thing that the Rangers weren't doing early on. And they kind of, I mean, they've just turned it around. Obviously, the Oilers are not good right now, even though they should be good. But two back-to-back wins over a Tampa Bay Lightning team that's just won back-to-back Stanley Cup champ- or championships. I mean, that's, that's going to jumpstart your team into – at least being respectable in the eyes of every other team. And uh, the way that they kind of resolve or they kind of like bounce back after 
that um, they had kind of a cold stretch over five games, only one win. This is after their like really long win streak. And I mean, they kind of lucked out with that long break, kind of, you know, cooled the heels, uh, changed momentum a little bit. You start off with that loss to Florida after the break, but these three last three wins have looked really good. And, you know, that's kind of the sign of a, of a strong team to bounce back, you know, limit your slumps to just a few games and then go back on a, on a streak. And that's what they're doing here. So I have a lot of faith in this team. I think they're definitely a top four finisher in the East, uh, but there's plenty of hockey to be played. We're only in like a third into the season right now. So They head out on the road out West this week. They got Vegas on Thursday, Anaheim on this nice little break for you and Colin here. Yeah. Vegas on Thursday, Anaheim on Saturday, Kings on Monday and the Sharks on Thursday, and then they're at Philadelphia on Saturday the 15th. They won't be home again two weeks to until two weeks from tomorrow when they play against Toronto. Uh, speaking of long breaks, uh, the Islanders were supposed to be in Seattle today. That game is postponed along with tomorrow's game against Vancouver, Saturday's game in Edmonton, and Tuesday's game in Calgary. They don't play again until Thursday the 13th against New Jersey uh, because the league is refusing to play in front of an empty building. To some point, I get it. But on the other, we can talk about this in a minute after talk about the team. But on the other hand, you don't know what's coming next. So you might as well just get the games over with. But that's a whole different conversation. The Islanders have, do have points in their last four games. They have won their last two against Edmonton and Buffalo and looked pretty decent doing it. Uh, when they get back against New Jersey, they have four straight games against division teams. Uh, New Jersey, as I mentioned, Washington, Philadelphia, and Columbus. And they're going to have everybody back. Pulak seems like he's going to be back by that time. Brock Nelson certainly will be, and it looks like Wallstrom will be off of COVID by that time as well. Uh, no excuses anymore, Ty, because, you know, we talked about this team being injured in COVID. Now everybody's had COVID, so they can't get it for another 90 days, <laughs> and they should all be healthy by the next time they play because they don't play for 12 days. So uh, um, they got to win pretty much every game they play in, uh, Jan uh, in uh, yeah, January. Or, yeah, so this month is January, and that starts on uh, the 13th. Yeah, definitely the, the excuses for the Islanders were – very valid as valid as excuses can get to start the season but now that they're getting healthy this is definitely their chance they do have they're only eight points out of the playoff and they do have a lot of games in hand unfortunately the one team they don't have games in hand on are the Bruins which is the team in the last playoff spot right now but all the teams ahead of them a few of which they're playing Flyers Blue Jackets Devils they all have you know three four games in hand on on this team in part due because they got hit with COVID early in the season so for the Islanders this is a huge stretch coming up and it is pretty unfortunate that they had these games coming up canceled because as you mentioned, they've been playing better of late. They've won two straight and these games, these teams, they were supposed to play the Kraken are not good this year. The Canucks are not great this year. The Oilers are slumping. This could have been a, a really good chance for the Islanders to string together, you know, a four or five, maybe even six game win streak and really vault themselves back into the playoff push. So it's unfortunate that they don't get to play those games. Now they will at some point, I'm assuming, <laughs> But uh, yeah, this is this is a huge stretch for the Islanders, and it helps so much that they're getting healthy and they're getting their top players back. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about whether we should call it quits on the season yet for the Islanders. Uh, there's still so much hockey left to be played, and just as easily as they went on that, I mean, insanely long losing streak, uh, which was obviously caused by you know a, a, a number of factors, uh, including the you know COVID constantly everybody had code um but the fact that they could go on like a streak like that and just ruin their season means you know if they go on a streak of winning games you know especially only eight points out of the playoff with more than half the season left to go 
it's still reasonable to say that they could turn around. It's just, you know, whether they will or not, we'll see. Sorry, I was muted. It is a will see. Um, but with the goaltending they've gotten, there's no reason that they can't, right? Sorokin's been so good. And Shesterkin just did it for the Rangers. And they That's just the saw thing. it Goaltending can completely change your season. And, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's weird to say that, like, there's just one guy on the ice that's just going to completely determine your season. But right now, if the Rangers didn't have Shesterkin, they easily could be, like, a mid-tier, maybe even outside the playoffs right now. So, you know, it, it does make a huge difference. Yeah, and I think that a lot of reason for that big win streak for the Rangers, not discounting their play, was because Shesterkin was the best goalie in the league for six weeks. And Sorokin was real is honestly played like seven or eight really good games during the 11 game losing streak. And they, if they had been anything other than 0 and 11, it would have been all thanks to Sorokin because they certainly deserved to lose all 11 of those games outside of him. Um, Cause there's nothing really to talk about on the ice. I guess we'll just doom and gloom it now because that's what the world is. Um, as I mentioned, those four games for the Islanders get postponed um, the league doesn't want to play in front of empty buildings. Uh, and to a degree, I, I understand that obviously they've lost a lot of money at the ticket gate over the last two years, as is every sport and Broadway show and concert venue in the country and in the world. Um, and I, I don't, I don't blame them for not wanting to have to go through that again. That being said, this season is never going to end because over the next 12 days, the Islanders have a lot of games to make up. And over the next 12 days, they've already said that they are, it's not 12 days anymore. It's nine, but it was 12 total. Um, they've said that they're not making up any of these games. The Washington Capitals had their game today against Montreal postponed. They have to make up a game in New York. Why that game isn't being played tonight, I don't know. I can't tell you. Um, it's stupid to me, honestly, Ty, to, to not have to have this game being played tonight or tomorrow. Um, it's a mutual off day for both teams, and they're, what, like 300 miles from each other? Like, it's not the end of the world. Um, but – that's what they decided. The season is never ending. The Stanley Cup will be awarded in August again, and we'll be right back where we started with, with another season off timeline. I don't see any way it doesn't happen at this point because you can't fit all these postponed games into the three weeks that the Olympics aren't happening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've postponed as of, I believe it was yesterday, two days ago, the article I was reading, there's been 90 games postponed. So there's obviously been a few more since then, and there will be a few more. And the, the Stanley Cup final, the last date for it, as of right now, is scheduled to be June 30th. And I agree. I'll with take you, Chris, the over. I don't see a way that they get that done. They're going to have to probably extend the regular season a few weeks. I mean, the three weeks that the Olympic break is given, you know, maybe it's enough time. But a big issue, too, is arena availability. A lot of, I, I've heard people talking about, you know, a lot of these arenas, especially like MSG or all these arenas, really, they've missed out on so much revenue over the last few years that, when we saw this Olympic break coming, they, they scheduled events, they scheduled concerts, the, the NBA is still going on. So the NHL doesn't just have like a free three weeks that they can fill games in whenever they, they please. And in terms of, you know, canceling the games in Canada, on one hand, yes, I understand that you want to make as much revenue as possible. That's how the league's going to fully get back to normal. That's how the salary cap's going to go up. But it's just really, really difficult to see games being canceled for reasons other than outbreaks on teams because we've already seen so many of those. And at the end of the day, it's, it's tough to avoid that, but to see these teams that are now completely healthy, pretty much from COVID and, and they're getting games postponed because there's no fans. I mean, yeah, you, you said it, Chris, you're banking on the fact that Canada is going to allow fans semi soon. 
And, you know, if COVID has taught us one thing, it's that expect the unexpected. You can't really bank on certain things happening. So if three, four weeks from now, Canada is back to almost full capacity and the NHL has managed to reschedule all these games. And yeah, I guess it worked out, but there's also in my mind, at least an equally likely scenario where these Canadian teams aren't playing in front of fans for maybe a few more months. And now you just have to play these games anyway. And it's like, well, why did you cancel them in the first place? Yeah. I think the NHL is probably overplaying their hand here. I mean, they, they know that they have that three week break. It's now completely empty because they're not going to the Olympics. But like you said, it's, it's a lot of games to fit into a three-week span. And it's, it does seem a little strange that at this point, you know, we've done this. We've played games in front of fans or in front of empty arenas. And obviously, yes, there's a lot of, you know, lost revenue there. But these are billionaire teams. I mean, like they're billionaire, billion-dollar organizations um, that, you know, could probably take the hit. Uh, so I don't know. At, at the end of the day, they probably think that a season that runs a bit longer is, you know, better than them losing out on ticket sales. But it is always weird when you see hockey in August. And I really hope that doesn't happen again, because that'll kind of screw everything up for the next year, at least maybe two. Um, and it would be great to just like get like a normal schedule going, even if that means that you have to lose out on, on fans being there. I, I remember like the playoffs were not, they, they, the bubble playoffs were just really weird and like not nearly as fun to watch because there were no fans. Um, so it's really, it, it is a very tough situation for the NHL to be in. So, I mean, if I'm in their shoes, I don't really know which side I'm on. Uh, but I mean, I'm definitely hoping that the three week break is enough because if it isn't, you know, on we go into June, July, August. Ugh. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that there's room to reschedule some of these games, like the division games, like Detroit against Toronto. You want to reschedule that? Fine. They're not that far away from each other. But the Islanders going to Calgary is a trip. Going to Vancouver, going to Edmonton. Just play the game. Like, nobody's going to the game to watch the Islanders. Like, I don't know. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me why you would cancel these games, these East Coast versus West Coast games, when right now you can get over the border. There's no guarantee you can get over the border in 10 days from now because we saw that close pretty quickly um, back in March of 2020. And, you know, we're talking about, oh, the NHL is banking on Canada being having fans in six weeks. Well, they're also banking on restarting the regular season in May of 2020, and that didn't work out either. And they had to wait till July to play in the bubble and – it wasn't a disaster, but it wasn't what they wanted. And if they get what they want, then that's great. But we already saw one time them bank on something and it didn't work out. Now they're just doing it again. It seems I don't really learn from their lessons that you said it, Ty. There's expect the unexpected with this thing. Um, and speaking of not learning lessons and expecting the unexpected, the World Juniors went off without a hitch last year in a bubble. Uh, this year it was not a bubble. It was a protected environment per the IIHF who had a tough couple of weeks um, in general. It was uh, the whole tournament was canceled after just a few days um, of happening. It's, you know, one of my favorite tournaments of the year, one of my favorite weeks of the year. And it's, it was over. The U S had only played one game. They won three, two against Slovakia. They had their game canceled against Switzerland. Uh, the Canada had only played two games. They won like 15 to two against Latvia or something like that. And Connor Bedard was, freaking incredible um but it, it sucks to lose that tournament uh it's not 
you know, you obviously you feel terrible for the kids who, you know, dreamed of this their whole life and they're never going to get to play in it again. That sucks. Um, but it was the right decision given the situation they were dealt. It's just they could have completely avoided the situation they were dealt um, by just going back to what they did last year because that worked. Um, and the IAHF has a lot of questions to answer, but it's their revenue they lost. So I guess it's not the end of the world for, for the rest of us. It's just it worked last year. Why not do it again this year? I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, the you literally said it perfectly right there. The the precedent that they were following this year and like the way things were going this year, they absolutely had to cancel the tournament. I mean, or postpone it at least. You can't have half the games be one nothing forfeits. But at the same time, the tournament went off perfectly without a hitch last year. It's pretty confusing to me, honestly, that they were able to pull it off last year in a world where we didn't have vaccines that were widely available and we didn't have boosters or anything like this. And yet this year, 12 months later, when the world as, as a whole is so much more equipped to battle this pandemic and it, it fails almost immediately. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I remember last year, there were teams that had COVID positives that had or had players in protocol that were still playing games. So, I mean, it seemed like they took a very strict, you know, if you get one or two players testing positive this year, you're quarantining, you're forfeiting the game, which, listen, if you want to do that, that's fine. But then why was this a quote-unquote protective environment? If you're going to take that strict of a stance, I feel like it should have just been a bubble there. So I don't know that maybe not the best planning by the IHF, and it is really unfortunate that the tournament got canceled because there were, there were and there always are a lot of really good players in the tournament. And watching Connor Bedard, I mean, we got one little glimpse of him and he scored four goals in a game. So seeing him over an entire tournament would have been really exciting and really fun to watch. So it is really unfortunate that this happened. Yeah, I would say like the, the stricter rules probably had something to do with the fact that like the Omicron variant was kind of new around the time. I mean, like the, this one of the juniors started like January or December 26, yeah. So, I mean, like, I guess there was, like, two or three weeks. I think Omicron was, like, a big, like, discovery in South Africa, like, around Thanksgiving. So, I mean, we still don't know. Uh, we still don't really know, I mean, exactly how different it is, other than, like, the fact that it spreads much faster. Um, so, maybe that was one of the uh, decisions, obviously. Um, there's also, like, Omicron is, like, I guess, more transmissible – through vaccinated people as well than uh, like Delta or the original COVID strain. So like, I don't know, it, it, it was definitely an evolving situation. Had this happened maybe two weeks later, I think either they would have had a better plan in place, either like a go back to the bubble type situation or, you know, cases would have, you know, slowed down as, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I haven't really been checking it recently, but a lot of people have been suggesting that this would be a, a shorter uh, wave of COVID uh, compared to others. So I think they really got screwed with the timing here, which stinks um, because obviously you see a bunch of uh, future NHL players that are that play in this tournament, uh, future stars in the league. So it's it's kind of a loss for for the IHF and, and not their only loss of this month slash couple weeks, uh, obviously with the Olympics. So very bad time to be uh, be you know, involved in uh, international hockey and, and the organization, especially on the American side. Yeah. And the, they were also in the news just before the world junior started 
because I think what you're saying is correct to a degree where Omicron snuck up on them. They were not able, they thought that they were, you know, if they, if maybe if we were living in October, if the tournament was in October and they had exactly the same, you know, precedent, then it, or what am I trying to say? Uh, process that they, this all would have worked out. Um, I think that that's fair because they put these, they were developing this in the fall to get to this tournament. But before the tournament started, like the third week of December, they put out a, a notice canceling, full canceling every single tournament that had a start date in January, which is key because the World Juniors ends in January. It starts in December. So you knew that Omicron was bad enough that you weren't going to start a tournament on January 10th or whatever, say. But it wasn't bad enough to not end a tournament on January 3rd. Um, which doesn't make a lot of sense. One of those tournaments was the U18 world, the women's U18 worlds, which is canceled for the second consecutive year. The, it, yeah, I think what you're saying is right quicks that they didn't have enough time, but they knew that this was a problem. They could have done something about it, whether it was postponing in a month or, or, or something where it, it would have created a better environment. Now, clearly their answer to everything is just cancel it because that's what they did with all the January tournaments. And maybe that's what it would have been, but at the end of the day, they put all these people in, you know, danger. They're all vaccinated. So the theory is that it's not that much danger, but danger to get it. And it doesn't make, it just didn't make a lot of sense. They could have created some kind of bubble on the fly and maybe it would work better because they knew this was going to be a problem. They went in holding their breath and it slapped them in the face. It seems like to me from the outside, obviously. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's just a really unfortunate scenario. I hope, I mean, there was, there are, there have been talks that, you know, maybe you hold the tournament at a later date this year, which would be great to see. Cause as we've talked about, you know, the, the players in this tournament were amazing and absolutely part of this decision, you know, trying to keep the world juniors on is the money. It's obviously yeah. the, the biggest tournament for, for the IHF. So, but yeah, I, I agree. I understand what you're saying quigs that Omicron snuck up on them and it definitely did, but, it snuck on up on them to a certain degree. They clearly knew how serious it was. And also the, you know, the higher ups at the IHF, the people are making this decision. They're the higher ups there for a reason. You know, they're probably getting paid pretty handsome salaries, I'm assuming. And you got to make tough decisions. And it just seems like a general theme in the hockey world is the wrong decisions are being made continually with COVID, which is really unfortunate to see and frustrating. Well, it was probably the right decision to not go to the Olympics, at least. That, that, was, the right that, is, a, that is a good decision. To... Well, that wasn't their decision. They're still going. Oh, that's the true. NHL. That's true. All right. That's just a good international hockey decision. That was. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they still get credit for it. Oh, ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, the NHL has been postponing games left and right, but uh, they, would not, they would not postpone the Winter Classic. I think they would have thrown the Iowa Wild out there. Uh, to play that game on Saturday. Uh, but it was really cool. It was a fun game. It was the third coldest um, the third coldest professional sporting event in American history uh, behind two playoff football games. And it was negative seven degrees. It was really freaking cold. And it was cool. Uh, it felt like the first time the Winter Classic was cool in a while. Um, you know, it was cool for me when they were at Notre Dame because I'm a Notre Dame fan. But other than that, I feel like there hasn't been a really good one in a while. And this was a really good one. 
uh, obviously coming off of the Lake Tahoe disaster and coming off of the meme of Corey Perry having to walk like a mile and a half after he got thrown out of the game. This was a pretty good win uh, for outdoor hockey in the NHL. Uh, a good fun game, 6-4. Uh, that's been a theme since the the, the pause uh, where there, there's average of seven and a half goals a game, I think it is, uh, coming into this week since the pause. Uh, but it was a fun game between the Wild and the Blues, and the Wild ended up winning 6-4. to four. Good for Minnesota for getting this off. They had it canceled last year, and uh, their team won. Oh, no, their team lost. What am I saying? Their team lost, but still, it was fun. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a really cool atmosphere. I saw a picture of someone had, like, a Bud Light can, and the beer had, like, completely frozen. Like, <laughs> coming out of time, it was completely frozen. Like, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. And the big thing I always look for in the winter classic first are the uniforms. And I loved both of the uniforms this year. And it was, it was a pretty crazy game. There were a couple weird goals to say the least own goals. There was the one goal where it like behind the net, the puck went behind the net and it hit Bennington's helmet and went in. So it was a pretty wacky game, but credit to the blues for winning. And I just want to talk about, if we could talk about Jordan Cairo for a second, certainly we really don't talk about, you know, like, other players especially in the western conference that much unless you know it's Connor mcdavid or nathan mckinnon but if there was a breakout player of the year award in the nhl i think my vote would probably go to jordan cairo he completely has been letting it up the season and especially in the winter classic i think he had like three or four points so this was my first time watching him like fully throughout an entire game and i was super impressed by him i know he's always been like a pretty big prospect for the blues but he's maybe you know, struggled to crack the lineup and then struggled to produce as much as they would have hoped. But he's over a point per game this year, and he looked absolutely outstanding in that game. And he was definitely the player that that caught my eyes the most. So I just wanted to highlight him. He he's had an outstanding season, and the Blues have been the Blues have been very good this year. I don't think I, I you know I thought they'd be a playoff team. I think most people thought they'd be a playoff team, but maybe not competing at the level of like Colorado or Minnesota. But they're winning that division as of today. So. The Blues, you know, I don't know how many more cracks at the can they have with this core. It's getting kind of old, but this that'll be a fun team to watch throughout the rest of the season as well. Yeah, Kyrou easily had the uh, the best performance of that game. He had, I think, two goals and two assists in the second period alone, um, so that'll do it. But uh, even uh, Karoka Prisa looked pretty good, too. I mean, obviously, we know he's an elite talent in the second year. Um, you got that big contract going into the season, and he had a goal, two assists in that game. Um, so it was a really cool, it was a really cool game. I, I also always love the jerseys for classics. Um, like Minnesota wild. I like their red and green, uh, color scheme and like always have. So like, I was just going to naturally like whatever they put out. Um, I thought like the, it was kind of cool. How they like the Brown, like, like, like pants and, and, and like elbow patches. Um, but like, I don't know. I, I, it's so like old timey that I almost like don't like it in a way. It just like looks like very dated. I really like the blues jerseys. I thought those were awesome. Like the cream and the, the blue and yellow. Um, those are sick. I love cream on any jersey, especially in a classic. Uh, but yeah, it was a really cool game. Uh, Target Field. I mean, not like a top tier MLB stadium, but definitely a good place to have a winter classic because it's so cold. And yeah. uh I couldn't imagine being in the stands for that game. Like I've never been to an outdoor hockey game or even like a really cold football game. I think I went to like a Jets game in December once and it wasn't that cold. Like I couldn't imagine just standing in the seat so far away from like the actual ice. Like that's, you're going to be a hardy hockey fan to go to a, a winter classic like that. 
No, I agree. Todd, did you go to Yankee Stadium or Citizens Bank? So I've been to two outdoor games. One, I went to the Flyers Rangers alumni game. Okay. So that was at Cincinnati Park, but that was what 2012. So I'll be honest, I don't really remember what the weather was like for that game. And then I went to a stadium series game a few years ago when the Flyers and Penguins played, but the weather was unusually warm in oh, Philadelphia. Oh yeah, the ice melt in that game. Yeah, the ice was not at high levels, so the cold was really not. I don't. I was because I was thinking about it when I was looking at how cold it was in Minnesota and I was like I think I had like one sweatshirt underneath the jersey that I was wearing and that was it and I was like completely fine so I definitely could not imagine going to a game that was that cold I mean the fans you could see them in the stands they had so many layers on I was like at a certain point I don't even know if it would be enjoyable but at the same time that's a once in a lifetime opportunity and to be able to say that you were at that game one of the coldest sporting events in North American history that's something that people will they'll remember that for the rest of their lives. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, and then if you like, watch the Sunday night football game, the same thing was happening. If you watch Sunday night football, Packers, Vikings, the water, did you see the TikTok of the guy who had bought a water bottle and left it on the ground? He bought a water bottle before the game started and put it on the ground at his feet. And at the end of the game, it was a fully solid block of ice. <laughs> wow. Incredible. <That's> cold. <laughs> it's always cold at Lambeau. Oh, of course. And yeah, the, but it, it was a it was a legitimately fun game. The stadium series this year is, is in Nashville. It's Preds against Tampa. Those are those smack those ugly Smashville jerseys that they're wearing. Oh, yeah. yeah, those aren't great. I don't even like the lighting ones. Either. Yeah, they're not, they're they're just okay. But I am uh, I'm dying for the island. I'm itching for the Islanders to get back in one of these. They obviously were in one in back in 2014 uh, Yankee Stadium. Uh, they should have been in the one in 2018 at City Field, but whatever. Uh, and I'm just itching for one of these teams for them to get back in back in one of these games, because I, uh, I certainly would like to go. It looked like a fun time. Um, that's pretty much all I've got. As I think about it, uh, there was, yeah, I mean, there's really not much going on in the NHL, lots of games postponed. Uh, how was the vibe at the garden this weekend? Like, was it still as crowded as it was, or both of you were at different games? crowded as it was earlier in the season do you feel like the crowd's starting to dwindle like what's what's kind of the vibe there quicks i don't think it's i don't think i would have a really good read on that because i went to a sunday afternoon game 12 30 mm. so like both jets and giants were playing jets at a home game uh tony brown was streaking so like um but uh <laughs> it, it was really loud at the end i mean it, it wasn't like fully packed at any point but like I mean, as soon as like you get like dancing Larry on the on the big screen, like it was it was an absolute like party atmosphere. So I mean, it, it's it's a good time to be a Rangers fan. Um, I mean, I don't know what was it like Monday night. Um, I mean, it's pretty much what you were describing. It definitely the last game I went to prior to COVID was they played the Flyers in a matinee game, and that was if you guys remember before COVID, right before the pause, the Rangers were really streaking. They had won like nine of their last 10 and they were chasing the flyers for a playoff spot. So that game was completely sold out. It was a great atmosphere. And it definitely, like you said, Quiggs, it definitely was not a hundred percent capacity at this time, but you know, for a Monday night coming off new year's weekend, it was a pretty good crowd playing a Western conference team. And it's definitely a lot louder and a much more fun environment. The fact that the Rangers are the best team in the league right now. So hopefully the attendance keeps to climb. I know it's been a bit of an issue not just for the Rangers, but for pretty much the entire league this year. So hopefully as we move into the summer and COVID maybe goes away to a certain extent, fans will, will continue to pack the buildings even more. Yeah. Compared to last year. I mean, it's a lot, a lot more packed. Oh, <laughs> so <sure. that's> 
What's interesting about that, Tyler, is you mentioned it's a Monday night game against the Western Conference team. Okay, that's true. But it's against Connor McDavid's Western Conference team. That is true. And granted, this this year's game was historic, but every year when the Warriors come to Madison Square Garden, it's not always on a Friday night. It's not always on a Saturday night. It's, you know, this year it was during the week, and it's packed every single year, right? Granted, that's because, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, the NBA has created fans of – different teams in different parts of the country and the Knicks sucking has been part of that, but you can't get a ticket to, and honestly, I put the Warriors and the Oilers in the same kind of category, or they should be at least where it's like, that's the team you want to see. All right. Like I was upset. I wasn't able to go to the Saturday's game Islanders Oilers because I want to see McDavid. I've seen him twice. And I think it's the coolest thing you can do as a hockey fan is watch Connor McDavid play hockey with your own two eyes. And he comes to Madison Square Garden on a Monday night, and it's basically like an afterthought to a football game played by two teams who aren't going to the playoffs. And it's like, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting that it still wasn't sold out with McDavid in town because I feel like that should – it's never going to reach Curry's in town because it's Steph Curry and it's the NBA, but it should get closer than it does. Is that Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that makes a lot of sense. You go, Quicks. Yeah, there – Hockey tickets are so expensive, especially oh, yeah. in MSG. Oh, I mean, if you're going to a Devils game, like, they're much cheaper. It, it, there's nothing compares to, like, a, a if you want to sit in, like, the 100 levels in any game for a Rangers game, like, you're paying $200 for a ticket. So, like, I think that probably has an impact on it. Um, the blue seats are always more filled than the lower seats. That's also a thing. So, I mean, that, that definitely could be a part of it, the fact that tickets are just so expensive. And, you know, teams have to make up for last revenue from last year, I guess, but – it's just, you know, if you're if you're a fan of a team and you're not just absolutely loaded, you can't go to a lot of games. Especially the Rangers. I mean, MSG is so expensive. You're 100% right, Quicks. The, the upper bowl is is pretty packed for most games, but the lower bowl was definitely not full. And, yeah, tickets are just – it's pretty unreasonable. Like, I, I definitely the three of us can't afford to sit in the lower bowl of a Rangers game. And, you know, I you can pretty much only afford to go to one or two games a year – this is like a league-wide thing. Tickets and concessions are just so expensive now. So that's definitely playing a role with it alongside COVID. Also, yeah. January 28th uh, against the Wild, I think the minimum price ticket is $370. But, of course, that's because they're retiring Henry Lundqvist's jersey. So I thought that was insane. Like $300 for like a, for a nosebleed seat. Like that's – I mean, that's how much I love them, I guess. Didn't you say you couldn't get into the Eagles game because they were retiring Strahan's number? Well, yeah, that was part of the – I was thinking about going to the Eagles-Giants game, but then tickets were very expensive for that, and I'm sure some of it was because they were retiring Strahan's number. And yeah. thank God I didn't go to that anyway. <laughs> that was a tough one. <laughs> Congrats, by the way. Made the thank playoffs. you. Thank you. Thank you. Not to you, Quicks. Hey, congrats to you next week for beating the Bills. <laughs> You're just manifesting that into reality. You really want to win the division, huh? Hey, look at I hope they don't. I, ho- I hope the Jets lose for the first time in a last year, too. Oh, well. All right. Well, we'll be back next week, back remote, and then uh, hopefully we're back in person uh, when we get back to school uh, the week after Martin Luther King. Uh, we got the coverage of all the home games all season long, as always. Uh, for Thomas Quigley and Tyler Mooney, Caroline Palermo is our uh, producer. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.